Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Beamer, and I got to be honest, today I was going to come out here and talk about uh, my, my arch nemesis, Matt Manning. But I had a little bit of a reflection that that would just be making an excuse, and that happened seemingly forever ago, which was actually just last week. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I am going to talk about how it was my fault. It was my fault that I am sitting. I am sitting at home. Uh, sitting at home actually has nothing to do with fantasy baseball, since you can do that and sit at home. It's my fault that I'm sitting at home without playing in the playoffs, and that is because it's not Matt Manning's fault that he sucks as a pitcher. It's not Matt Manning's fault that he had to pay, that he was just terrible. It's my fault for starting him. It's my fault for believing that a sucky two-star pitcher would be better than one of the guys that I'd been rolling with pretty much all year through the ups and the downs. So really, it's just a cautionary. This is just a cautionary tale, a tragedy, really, of a guy who, despite being burned by it once with the, uh, the infamous... 2019 Adam Wainwright over Clayton Kershaw incident went back to the sucky pitcher. Well, again, pulled out a, just a new face and said, go ahead, go ahead and lead me to the next round. So that's where we are. And I will, I will say I'm working on this just this week. We are in for our dynasty league, the Modesto nuts. Um, I had the opportunity to start Luis Sessa. I picked him up. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Luis Sessa is, there's probably a reason for that. He's a bad pitcher. His ERA is over five. But I looked at him and I was like, well, on Monday he starts, or I guess it would be today, he starts against the Pirates. And if he can just have a good start then, I don't really care what happens with that Cardinals start. But the more that I looked at it and said, I said to myself, this is just Matt Manning with a Scooby-Doo mask on. They're all the same. He is a sucky pitcher. His ERA is over five. I should not be starting him in this playoff matchup. So you know what I did? I dropped him. And when I dropped him, my opponent picked him up and I said, well, this is going to be interesting. And you know what Luis Sessa did? He did what most sucky and he bombed with a negative three outing. And now he against the Pirates, no less. And now he has to go face the Cardinals later. What might be just another negative outing. So basically, what I'm saying is don't start the sucky waiver pitchers. If pitchers are on waivers at this point in the year, you can just scoop them up. There's probably a reason for that. They're probably garbage and they don't really belong in your playoff matchup. So that's the end of uh, my little, my little intro here. So now I'll just introduce my co-host, Jerwin. Jerwin, welcome to the show. Hey Jake, uh, glad glad to hear that you're you're you know seeing the light here uh, on this uh, this personal issue that you're having. I mean, we we all have our flaws, and uh, you know we just have to admit what we got and uh, move on. And I also I, I appreciate you applying that lesson so swiftly to the nuts and for managing that team so well while I sit on the sidelines all year and kind of just check it every month or so and be like, oh, the Nets are doing well. So, uh, yeah, thanks for doing the heavy lifting and also not starting sucky pitchers in our playoff matchups. 
Yeah, no problem. I mean, really, you you handle the the marketing. I'm like the baseball ops guy. You're more the the business side. I think that's how we how we decide to run the team, and I I think it works well. For sure, ticket sales are through the roof. We'd love to see it, but let's get right into it um, with our two big takeaways. But before we do that, I will say just as an update, we are recording this on Tuesday, so that is where all the scores will be. Um, and uh, we are again midweek. Uh, we're going to talk about um, just our thoughts on last week, uh, where the playoff matchups are now that we are they are halfway over. So, Jerwin, give me your first big takeaway. Uh, my first big takeaway, I'd be surprised if we didn't have a similar one in the first slot or the second slot here uh, for you. But Jordan just feels like the team of destiny this year. He's, uh, it, it feels a lot like the run that Nick had last year. I think, I, I think in the first week of the semifinals last year, when I was facing Nick, he put up 400 points and Jordan, Jordan needed an extra day to get there, I think, but still just, just a, a, a ridiculous week, 365 points, uh, it, it, it's just it's impressive and he's getting hot at the right time which it's it's strange how that works in fantasy like you think about you know hockey playoffs it's like whoever's the hot team you're, you're feeling good about but with fantasy it's just i don't know these players aren't like sitting in the locker room like feeling feeling the vibes they're off in the real world and yet Fantasy teams get hot for the playoffs all the time. It, it's it's a strange thing, but working in Jordan's favor. Yeah, that was one of mine, and it was that uh, no matter who comes out on the other side of the bracket, I think that Jordan has to be considered the favorite now. Um, just with how hot his team has been, I mean, like he his team has been absolutely unreal since the playoffs started. After especially so week one, he just wipes out Courtney. There's no comeback. No comeback is possible there. I know that he he did not have he didn't have as good a week the second the second week, but still let paced the league um I think by at least 40 points for the rest of the for the first round. And now he's doing it again here uh in, in round two just laying waste to to Nate's team. It's not even like Nate is having a bad week himself. He's basically right there with the other three teams in the playoffs. It's just that the other two teams in the playoffs, I should say, it's just that Jordan's team has been so outrageously good. And honestly, I think it's flown under the radar a bit. Um, and he's had some crazy performances. Like last week, Shane Bieber get, comes up, goes out and gets 52 points for him. Uh, another one I, I wanted to highlight too, because I feel like this is kind of snuck up on this. Freddie Freeman is the third overall player right now. I had no idea he was that he was on such a hot streak, but over this, over this past seven days, he's averaging five and a half points over his last 33.79. He's been on an absolute tear. He's just overtaken Goldschmidt for the number one first baseman slot on the year. And Jordan just has guys like that who are hot all over the lineup. Uh, both pit, his starting pitching has been unreal, but his offense has been giving him a nice floor. He's been right there with everybody else. I, he, he he has to be the favorite right now. And 
like you said, he's like the only team left that has not suffered a significant injury. I don't really believe in jinxes, so I'm not really caring too much about that, but he, uh, he, you have to, you have to be hot and you have to be healthy. He's both of those things right now. So Jordan, I think, yeah, definitely, definitely team of destiny vibes. Uh, the research is, is paying off. What was your second takeaway? Uh, my second takeaway was it, it seems I was wrong about Jordan with my hot takes, but I think I was right about the injury side of that hot take. It just wasn't Jordan's team that got it. Um, with like Sam, especially, and Nick missing guys like McClanahan. Um, building a great team doesn't matter if they all get hurt for playoffs. And uh, that's certainly come to bite Sam. Um, and like you said, Jordan's like the healthiest team still in it right now. So he's got a, a clear advantage over other teams that are a bit more banged up for the final stretch here. Yeah, for sure. My second takeaway is someone who was previously banged up, or it is about them. Uh, Mike Trout um, has is getting hot at the right time for Nick, and uh, really, it's a pretty welcome sight for him. Um, I know that he's been Trout's been kind of a disappointment this year. His points per game is down. He's been hurt off and on again, but uh, he's he homered in his seventh straight game yesterday. As of right now, I keep checking the updates. He's not homered in the game that he's playing in currently. Uh, so seven straight right now. And I, I thought this was kind of funny. I don't remember who was on ESPN or CBS, but it was just like the most angels headline uh, is Mike Trout homered in his seventh straight game tonight. Only three players have ever done it in three in eight straight. The angels lose to the guardians four to five. Just the most angels thing to happen where they're just absolutely wasting the two generational talents that they have on the roster. So I just wanted to highlight Mike Trout and how the tear that he's on that has gone completely unnoticed because the Angels are irrelevant and uh, everybody's kind of shifted to football now. But not us. We are still here and we are still here to give you our thoughts on the week three, um, week three of the playoffs. So we're going to go through this like we did last week. We're going to go through our biggest surprise for the team and players and then our biggest disappointment for teams and players. Uh, I'm happy to report that the comeback meter is back and we will be doing that again. Uh, but let's start with our bit with, with uh, the biggest surprise and we'll do the, we'll do it for the team edition. Now this is going to be a little, it's going to be a little different because there, we only have four teams left, but we thought we could still go through this. So Jerwin, who's your biggest surprise? The team, uh, not the player, the team. Yeah, I, I, I'll try not to, to mess up the order again here. Uh, so I went with Jordan again. I'm pretty sure he's who I picked in the last podcast. But, I mean, it's surprise feels like the wrong word because he was already so hot. But he even unlocked another level to that hot streak this past week with the points he, he put up. Um, and, and the fact that he continued it despite the the ever mentioned uh risky pitching staff um it, you you might have expected a bit of a regression from his team but it just didn't happen and not only did he maintain 
the precedent he set in the first two weeks, but he exceeded that uh, this week. So, um, again, surprises. It, it's it doesn't exactly describe the situation, but I mean he 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 did something we didn't expect again. So. Yeah, I picked the same thing. I not I know that we've already talked about Jordan's team a lot, but I mean, there's just more to talk about, frankly. Uh, out of his hitters, not he's he's my biggest surprise for a team as well. Um, not one of his hitters in his lineup last week scored fewer than ten points. So he is. Everybody is contributing uh, on the hitting side, and then on the pitching side, he scored he scored three sixty five point nine, and that's despite Robbie Ray putting up. Negative, negative half a point. Now that's not going to kill you, but still, that's one of his starters who is not contributing at all. Uh, despite that, his pitching staff still put up 180.5 points. It's it's been insane how good his team has been all around, uh, just throughout the playoffs and especially through this first week. Like he, we didn't think he would outdo himself after the after how hot he started. Because um, I know that we we had talked about. A couple of weeks ago, um, he put up 343.5, but he managed to do it. He managed to top that mark uh, very next week and on the, I guess the very next matchup. And uh, yeah, it's the, the team could not be peaking at a better time. So also my biggest surprise, let's go to the next one. Uh, we'll start off with the, we'll, we'll start off with, well, we'll go with yours. What's your biggest disappointment for week one of the semis? Um, my biggest disappointment now, I'm not disappointed in Nate and his team. I'm more disappointed for Nate and his team. Um, I mean, I, I picked him in my hot takes to win it all. I really, I really did think this, this might be his year and you, you can't help but feel bad to run into just one of the hottest teams, one of the hottest playoff teams in league history, probably like Nick last year would be the only one who was, who was stronger, but um, yeah, it's, it's really just tough luck for, for Nate. And again, like disappointment isn't really the right word here. Cause like you said before, he, he hasn't had a bad week. Like uh, I want to say it was, 275, 265, I think, somewhere around there. I, I don't 269. Know. 269. Nice. Um, but like that'll that'll beat the median most weeks. Probably probably did last week. Um, even though like a lot of teams didn't probably haven't set their lineup because they're not in the playoffs. But yeah, I mean that's a that's a perfectly fine week. You'd you'd feel good about it. It would be beating Sam right now. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's really tough. And um, I know Nate said it last year. I've been saying it for a while. Fantasy baseball is just seventy percent luck. And I think per- perhaps a more accurate way of putting it is fantasy baseball is seventy percent out of your control. Like there's just so much that happens like from players actually playing to like them getting traded in real life, that sort of stuff that really just is out of your control. And 
you can't control when the other team is just going to put up 360 points on you in the first week of the semifinals. So yeah, very, very tough break for Nate. Can't help but feel bad for the guy. Yeah, I, I do feel the same way that you do. Um, I picked Sam for my biggest disappointment, but to touch on Nate for just a second, I guess like, man, when you're like, when you're on the doorstep that many times, eventually like you got to get, it would just, it's hard to not to be right there so many times and just to not get the final step, you know, like last year it was just, it was Mike having an unreal week one where I, th- I think we picked Nate as the favorite last year too. This year he runs into the buzzsaw that is Jordan. Um, the year before that, he gets out, he, he got upset by my team. And I know that we thought that his team was better. His team was better than mine all year that year as well. But yeah, it's, it's tough to be on the, just right there so many times. Um, I don't think we're quite in like Red Sox or Cubs territory with like, there might be some sort of voodoo curse going on, but uh, maybe a couple more years. We might, have, we might have to think about that. I don't know. Got to explore all options there. You never yeah. know. But my, my biggest disappointment is Sam, um, mostly because this was just not really a great week one. Uh, he's in such bad straits right now that um, he changed his team name back to week pullout hitter, which that, that tells me that seems like it's a desperation play where, you know, like the, wasn't doing so well week one what do we got to change the team name got to rebrand and while i do agree with the strategy there that just tells me that he's desperate he's looking for solutions he's had he's had a lot of his guys get hurt i know that scherzer went down um doesn't have erlander for this week Uh, i believe soto was also day-to-day for a couple for a couple days last week and uh, i know Marte went down um i think it actually on his very first at bat he got hit with a pitch uh last monday and he was just done after that so he definitely has some tough luck but and two 239.3 points that's not that's not great and like i feel like nick is also i mean 260.3 is pretty good but we've seen nick put up better and i I feel like i almost feel like sam's squandering this this opportunity where nick's team is is struggling a little bit and he doesn't have mcclanahan uh you know like Got to capitalize on the, um, I don't know, the the wounded team there. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but whatever. So, yeah, a little bit disappointing. I know that his relievers have been pretty dreadful for the most part. Uh, Finnegan, negative 19. I know that Jan, he was about tied with Nick. Uh, and then Jansen decided to uh, hit him with the, uh, the BSL, the Bissell, um, that everybody hates. So, a tough break for Sam there, but, yeah, I'd, very disappointing. I think part of it is like, wish that I hadn't started Matt Manning because I, I have been looking at my score and it is is better than that. Like, ah, uh, rats, you know. It's just uh, it's a tough scene, but um, yeah. Looking for a rebound from Sam though. Uh, hopefully he does not leave Scherzer in his lineup this time. Speaking of which, um, that is kind of a big deal. Like. That was a really risky play to leave Scherzer in his lineup. And it definitely doesn't look so good now, but uh, I don't, I don't know that I would have done done that. I didn't really look to see who he might start instead, but 
I think that I, I don't recall that Scherzer was really probable to start that week. I think that was pretty risky and it couldn't end up costing in the matchup, but let's go on to happier things. Who is your biggest surprise as a player this week? Well, you already mentioned him. And again, surprises may be a bit of a stretch because it is Mike Trout, but my biggest surprise was Mike Trout because he has been kind of disappointing overall this year, but this week really turned it on, really carrying, um, really carried Nick's team last week. Yeah, I don't, Mike Trout's always going to be good when he's on the field. So I, I guess like I'm not, I was, I went a totally different direction. I picked notoriously bad hitter Elvis Andrus just deciding to pop off for Jordan's team. Pooing him and talking him down because of the, the injury problems. Um, I think you cut out there. So we'll just, we're going to keep going because this is all one take for me. Uh, I don't edit things. So um, yeah, I'm going on with Elvis Andrus. Uh, notoriously bad hitter, uh, despite his hot streak, still only has a 709 OPS. And he was cut loose by the Oakland Athletics of all teams. Um, and you know you're pretty bad when the Oakland Athletics don't even want you. He's picked up by the White Sox to fill in for Tim Anderson. And he is drinking uh, the Jordan special sauce, the, the Kool-Aid, whatever you want to call it. Because he has absolutely popped off since Jordan acquired him. Throughout this playoff, over the past 30 days, he's at 3.42 points. This is Elvis Andrus we're talking about. who uh, was on waivers most of the year. Past 14 days, he's been even better, almost five points per game. Like, the dude has just been insanity. Uh, and it's been a really welcome sight for Jordan, too, because before this, he didn't really have much of an answer at shortstop. Uh, I know that he'd been filling in a couple guys, but um, did not really have somebody that he was starting there uh, consistently. And amazingly, Elvis Andrus, in his time of need, stepped up and was like, put me in, coach, and there he is. Elvis, and I did not think that we would be saying Elvis Andrus playoff hero, but yeah, so far in week one, 36.9 points, just absolutely outrageous. I want to give a shout out too to Mark Canna, who's also on Jordan's team. 20.6 points. Man, just unlikely playoff heroes on Jordan's team. Uh, really helping helping the studs who are also performing well there. But yeah, so my pick was Elvis Andrus. Jerwin, I knew that you were saying more about Mike Trout, but uh, you cut out, and we all know that Mike Trout is really good. So we're going to move on to the biggest disappointment, the other side of it. Um, if your audio is back, who's your biggest disappointment as a player? My audio is back. You can't hear me, right? I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry about that. We do know Mike Trout is really good, but you know, he had a really big week when it counted and he's, it's been on and off this year. So, you know, we, we poo pooed him a bit on the last podcast, but he, he, he must've heard. So anyways, moving on, um, I know I didn't realize that Sam left Scherzer in his lineup despite the injury. I thought that maybe he got hurt before he was able to play. But I think still 
losing one of your one of your top pitchers in the semifinals has got to be a disappointment. And um, sure, leaving him in there was maybe a questionable decision. But I mean, I'm looking at his team right now. He had no backups on his bench. So I, I maybe just insert pitcher here for disappointment for Sam and Scherzer can can represent that group, but the injuries at starting pitcher really hurt him. And I think Scherzer is the one that hurts the most. Yeah, I definitely agree there. That that's a really tough break to lose your uh couple of your aces, but maybe at the same time, that's maybe that's uh that's just the the ancient pitching staff that Sam accumulated breaking down. My biggest disappointment is not an old guy, but a younger guy, Luis Robert and uh, Luis Robert. And um, well, he's not really a disappointment in the sense that uh, he's, I mean, he's been playing pretty badly, but he also has, has had that really annoying day-to-day tag forever. He, they, they just won't really commit to putting him on the IL. Uh, he's only played in two, he's played just two games in the month of September. Uh, he doesn't have a hit since August 24th. And he's been just in and out of the lineup a couple times with various ailments. Uh, he, he has been contributing absolutely nothing for Nate. Um, over the past 30 days, he's contributed only 8.6 points total. Um, and none of those have come in the last 14 days. So he's been completely useless for most of the playoffs. This is just, this is a guy that we were hoping coming into the year. Wasn't quite that. Um, I believe he did have some injury problems, but really not what you at all, what you would expect out of a guy that should be a set it and forget it player. And, uh, I know that Nate has benched him this week. I think that is totally justified. Uh, beyond that, that's a perfectly logical decision. I would be more questioning if you left him in his lineup at this point. Luis Robert is as cold as cold can be. And uh, yeah, it's just a shame that it's happening right now. He is really on a, on quite the cold streak. So that's my biggest disappointment. Um, I picked Luis Robert, Jerwin had Max Scherzer. And now we're going to go to another segment that we we're going to do this live. So this is Fantasy Would You Rather. And we each came up with a couple of these. We did not share them with the, with the other person. So we are going to ask a Would You Rather question. And the other person will answer it live on podcast. So I came up with four. We might have to keep the, we might have to cut this short if it starts to go long. But Jerwin, how many do you have? Uh, I have five, but the, the first two should be relatively simple. Okay, so we'll send you more. We'll let you go first. But fire away. Okay, Doug. Well, my, my first two are kind of a part one, part two. So we'll just knock them both out of the way quickly. Um, and on, on the tamer side. So would you rather have the best offense or pitching staff for a whole season? Uh, give me the best pitching staff because that is my team identity. I like it. Uh, and then the second one, I follow up. Would you rather have the best offense or pitching staff in the playoffs? Uh, probably best pitching staff because I feel like there's a higher ceiling with that. I don't know. I, I still think it's true that with the, the two-week matchups kind of favor the pitchers, especially with this condensed schedule. I, I, 
I I know that um, in this matchup here, just and you can tell I've been kind of keeping track, I guess. So I had Corbin Burns three times last week, and I believe I'd be in line to have Corbin Burns three times for this upcoming matchup. Had I would have made it, had I made it this far, it see it feels like with the condensed schedule that I I would have thought that maybe some teams would have, you know, they would have. Uh, push guys back onto six man, but it doesn't feel like they're doing that as much, or there's just, I don't know if there's just too many games where it doesn't matter. It just feels like this year, especially more pitchers are, or like they're pitching more often. So I feel like um, pitching in the playoffs, the best pitching staff in the playoffs would give me a higher ceiling. Yeah. I think for me, I would go pitching staff for both too, just because if it's like, you know, you're going into the season and I guarantee you, you're going to have, the best pitching staff I'd rather take that and take my chances with offense just because I think pitching can be so much more volatile and so much less sure so if I get a guarantee on that to start the year that's I I think I would would take that over over the guaranteed offense yeah I think I agree with you there so here's my first would you rather this is this is a pretty let me click one. Would you rather draft in the front of the draft order or the back of the draft order? Where and then you as a bonus, what is your preferred draft number? I know that's would you rather that's not a would you rather question, but again, I make the rules. So I think it's hard for me to say because the only snake draft I do is this one and like keepers being involved really, really changed things up in my opinion. Um, I think I would go top of the draft just because that like very top tier of player is a much safer pick and I think you're less likely to lose your season with them than taking like a, a late first and a early second like those guys are I it's not a wide gap in riskiness but I, I think I think I would prefer to have like a really really solid cornerstone player um Plus, it's just more fun because if you have the first pick overall, people are asking you, like, what are you picking? And you can answer because no one's going to steal them from you. That is fair. That is kind of fun to do. Uh, So I'll go with my next would you rather since I guess we'll just go two two. That's fine. Would you rather have Julio Rodriguez at his keeper value or Adley Rutschman at his and to make all things equal, since I know Rodriguez uh, in our league does not have, um, he doesn't have as many years as Rushman does. I'm going to set this to two years. So assume you can keep both for two years at their next two keeper values. Which one do you prefer? Cool. So I think Adley is the better player, at least in the the small sample size that we've gotten for both of them. I think Adley has shown a higher floor than, than Julio, but six rounds of difference is quite a bit 
for for guys who I think are as close as they are. I, I think I probably this probably isn't even how I have them in my rankings right now. And maybe I need to check on how they've been doing since last I, I looked. But just off the top of my head, I think you got to go with Julio and the 16th uh, instead of instead of Adley. I think I probably, like, given that Rushman has an extra year of eligibility, I have him ranked higher in my in my personal rankings but um but only just and that's like a tiebreaker basically so i i think i would probably go julio now you said a small sample size for julio but he's been playing all season you how big of a sample size would you want to see i guess before you kind of settle on this is who this this is who that player is well he was only elite elite for like a month so that's that's the small sample size I'm referring to. He wasn't he was fine before and has been eh, after, but like that one month of elite stuff was really good and really encouraging, very exciting given his pedigree. But I think I, I think Nate pointed it out in the group message. He's only averaging 2.6 over the year and just looking at like even some of the numbers during his hot streak, his plate discipline wasn't all that, wasn't all that great. He was just uh, on a power splurge. And I mean, that kind of player can be really good. And I think Julio was probably going to be really good, but he is going to have at least so far, he's had more peaks and valleys rather than high floor. Yeah, I definitely think it's an interest. I think I would take Julio too, just because of the discount. But if they were both equal for next year, I'd, I'd rather have Rushman. Um, but I think the six round difference definitely tips it in Julio's favor. But I, I agree with a lot of what you mentioned. I think that um, the sample size that we have of Julio being really that top elite player is very small. Um, and other than that, he actually for our league hasn't really been that great. And a lot of that is because of his, because of his play discipline. So I, I think I agree with you there. Um, the discount with, with Julio, their upsides, I think Julio probably has higher upside just because, well, I don't know if I can necessarily say that, but I, I think, I think Julio has the better, has better tools. Like he's a, like his, he's, he has better power. Um, the speed he's going to be able to stretch. It's um, I think he, like his ultimate upside, we would we would dream of him being like, I guess like Tatis light maybe, um, and I like that's not something that I don't think Adley is capable of doing. But I definitely believe that Rutschman has the higher floor. Um, his plate discipline is much better. He's a he's just a, a he is a really good hitter, not just a really good hitter for a catcher. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and that's and that's another thing. The position eligibility at catcher, like if if you can nail down a set it and forget it catcher, like that's a clear advantage over like at least half the league. Oh yeah, for sure. If you're putting like a real hitter um in your catcher position, then you you already have a leg up on everybody else because the half the time they're putting in sub 700 OPS guys who are just awful. And 
it will, will make everybody sad. So that's to, that's that, that's generally how catcher is. So if you can get like one of the guys who is a real life who is a real life major league hitter, then you're you're in pretty good shape. And there's very few of those guys out there. So yeah, it's definitely close. Um, I think the the biggest thing Julio has going for him in this would you rather is that he's six rounds cheaper. And I know that none of the neither one of them is a premium pick, but I think tenth round is like the back end of the picks that you're kind of still assembling your team. Whereas sixteenth round, you're starting to get in. You're uh, I shouldn't even say you're starting to get in. You are in the kind of the dart throw range. Uh, everybody's taking their their favorites who they hope will be uh, studs and good keepers later. So the fact that you're getting kind of you're getting a guy there that you know. We've seen him do it, and we we know that his his upside's way more realistic than a lot of the players you can get there. Definitely, definitely a point in his favor. So, so that was mine, um, Jerwin. We will go back to you. Uh, give us your next. Would you rather? So, would you rather have one guaranteed championship matchup with a healthy Degrom, or Prime Kershaw as a three-year max value keeper. Oh boy. <laughs> um, okay, so if we remember back, I appreciate you. I appreciate this throwback. We remember back, like Kershaw, Prime Kershaw basically was putting up the numbers, the the fantasy numbers, anyways. That Degrom is now. Oh man, that's really tough. So I okay, so I could get three years of Prime Kershaw, right? Is that is that correct? Three years of Prime Kershaw at like as if the first year. Well, I guess technically four because you draft him in the last round, and then you get him, and then three years of keeping value based on the last round. Oh wait, oh, wait a second. Okay, so I so I get this is the question of whether I get. Prime Kershaw for four years or DeGrom for one championship? Is that one championship matchup? Yeah, give me give me Kershaw for all four years. Prime Kershaw. I mean if the numbers were not, I don't I don't even think they were really worse than what DeGrom is putting up now. DeGrom is at, I believe this year he's at 26 points per game. Does that sound right? Yes. Okay. So just looking at like prime Kershaw. In 2014, Kershaw put out almost 27 points per game, um, over 27 starts. Uh, over that same, over that kind of span, I'm going to say Prime Kershaw was probably 20, 2011 to 2018 or 20. Now I guess we'll use 2017 as the cutoff because uh, I think he got he started getting hurt in. Um, I know he got hurt in 2016. I'm trying to think what I want to use my cutoff, but anyways. 2016, he's still, that was the year where he did suffer the back injury for the first time, and it's been recurring ever since. He was averaging 25 points per game that year. Um, give me, like, give me that guy before the back injury who was just putting up two over 200 innings, like, every single year. He was at about 220 to 230 almost every year, 33 starts. Give me that guy uh, for his entire keeper span because I think with him that I, I would be winning more than one championship. That's fair. That's fair. I think for me personally, 
because I haven't I haven't been to the finals, let alone won a championship yet. I think I would take the guaranteed championship matchup with a healthy DeGrom, even though for sure four years of prime Kershaw at maximum keep value would be far more valuable and could potentially result in multiple championships. I think I I would rather fast forward to being in the championship round with an elite pitcher. But if I had won last year, I think my answer would be different. Yeah. I mean, I think we just forget since it seems it, it wasn't that long ago, but it, it was a pretty long time ago that how good Kershaw's peak was. Like now I think he's just kind of this, like he's more like this steady Eddie, pretty great pitcher who we really, really like because he really is not ever bad, but like back, back in his day, like he was the guy and was, he was fantastic. I just get, get just to guess or just to get a scale here. So last year, our top pitcher, um, I believe was Zach Wheeler. Maybe it was Walker Wheeler. It's one of those two. I don't think that they topped 600 points, which admittedly that's low for our league. Um, but that could be the way the league is trending now, just with lower innings totals. Anyways, going back to 2011, so I'm going to say from 2000, from 2015 uh, to 2011, Kershaw would have been our number one pitcher by over 100 points every year but one. So back for so from 2015 to 2011, he scored over I think it was 598 points. Um, he scored over that amount every year, but one time, and, and he didn't just outscore that. It was by over 100 points. So in 2015, he scored 762 points. That's insane. Massive. That, that's just an outrageous total. 23.1 points per game. That was over 30. So he started 33 games. You had him the entire year doing that. Like that's just it, that you can't, I cannot overstate how valuable that would be. Like if you have that guy and the rest of our, and the next best pitcher is Zach Wheeler. And I'm not disrespecting Zach Wheeler. This is just what he put up last year. It was really good, but still that was like hundred points less than that. Like, give me that guy. I will be laying waste to all of your, like my pitching staff will be so much better than everybody else's. <laughs> it's such an advantage. Yeah. I think, I think for me on a personal level, I, I never had, I, I never had Kershaw over that stretch in a completely different league. I got beat by him in the first round of the playoffs after going 18 and three it was not a very competitive league. <laughs> I know people probably are like 18 and three. There's no way there, there is no way that would not, that did not happen in this league. But the first year I got him with my first round pick was the year he had started having his back injuries and these it was never the same. So I, I only got the brunt of prime Kershaw and never got to use Prime Kershaw, so it it's a sad time on a on a personal level for me. But now I I have Jacob Degrom, 
which makes me happy <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I kind of have a different uh, experience with Kershaw because I, I started playing fantasy baseball back in 2015, and I had Kershaw every year from 2015 to 2018. Or no, to 2019, sorry. It's like I had him for a long time. And I caught like the tail end of his prime. He broke my heart when the back injury happened because uh, I think that year I like my team was outstanding and partially it was due because Kershaw was just wiping everyone out and then he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Kershaw was my guy back in the day. Like he's I I still look back fondly and think that he was like one of the first him and like Corey Kluber, I, I feel like were the first Jake guys for my in my fantasy baseball tenure. Cause I just, I had those two guys like every year. So I, I, I look back, he, he's definitely one of my guys. I, I do feel really sad that, that his, his time on my team kind of ended so sourly with me benching him in the championship game for Adam Wainwright. And again, if I would have done that, I would have won. So he's, I, I feel bad that his, that's his, that's his legacy, I guess, with my team is, uh, I benched him for Adam Wainwright. One of the great blunders of the low expectations league. And maybe that's what really did it. I mean, I mean, he's not, he's not Corey Kluber today, but um, he's certainly not prime Kershaw. So maybe you just demoralized him and ruined it for everyone. I might've, I got to get him back at some point just so we can make it right. Like if, for the, if for the maps. Absolutely. Give him his farewell tour. Yeah. On my team. But now I'll get into my next would you rather. And this one is a little personal. Would you rather be the manager that traded away Tyler Glass now for little to nothing or be the manager who traded away Austin Riley for actually nothing? Ooh. Ooh. Man, um, those two guys are pretty close in my personal rankings as well. Um, I know you and I have discussed you, you'd say, um, Riley over Glasnow. I'm a little bit higher on Glasnow than you are, but I, I agree it's certainly close. They're, they're right in that range of player, huh. I guess I'd rather be the guy who traded away Glasnow because I got a little bit out of uh, Gosman or Gaussman, as some people say. But yeah, it's it's a tough scene. That that would you rather is is just a sad time all around. Now, what if I told you, in addition to Gaussman? You also inherited the services of Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> I, I, I knew he was a part of that trade. He's the first man that came. He is the first name that came to mind, but I uh, excluded him from the analysis for a reason. <laughs> you know, when I was originally thinking about what this would you rather, because I wanted to do something like this, um, I was thinking like, well, you know, like Riley did actually get traded for nothing. Gosman was pretty good. 
Yeah, like he was okay for me sometimes. Like I at least started him sometimes. But then I remembered, oh yeah, Craig Kimbrell. That guy probably hurt me to enough that it would make it like about even. Like you know, all all the the terrible outings where he like every single outing he would give up like a run. I feel like that probably brought it closer to even where like his bad just like killed whatever good Gosman did for me. That is fair. This was this was adequate. Yeah, again, just real sad time. Now, here's the thing though. Would would you rather be the team that traded away Austin Riley for nothing, but at least won the first round of the playoffs? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Not to name names, but no, this is a total hypothetical. I don't even, I don't know what you're talking about. Of course, of course. All right, give me your next would you rather. All right, my last two, I think are really spicy and I really enjoy them. So uh, would you rather draft your team, but not be allowed to trade or add players aside from injury replacement or auto draft but you get first pick on waivers all year. And now for this, this doesn't really apply to our league, but assume that like everyone goes on waivers every week and it processes on Monday. So like of the, the exciting players that people are adding, like just fresh, like a, a prospect or something, you won't miss out because someone woke up earlier than you and added them or like stayed up until midnight and added them before you could get to it. You just get your first pick on waivers every week. That's a good one. Um, Oh man. See, I enjoy the draft so much that I would probably say I'd I'd rather draft my team, but I don't know if that's the right answer here. I guess I would think that the draft, because it seems like I'm still allowed to trade, right? No, no transactions unless you're replacing an injured player. Okay. Um, see, on one hand, that would be kind of so. I'm basically like a best ball team. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like I remember Bomb auto drafting, and I believe it hit picked like two catchers for him. So there's there's also that. Yeah, auto auto drafting in baseball is death trap <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think it would be worse than football but it's like it's way worse <laughs> it's, yeah it, it's, it's shocking <laughs> yeah it's like it's very bad oh man that's a really tough one i, I think i would rather oh boy okay I'm, I'm not allowed to trade i feel like maybe the maybe i'd rather just take my chances with auto pick and just hope that it works I don't know. That that's a dangerous game either way. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll settle on that. Even though I I think for me, just as a fantasy player, my my best asset, I guess, is my is my drafting. I think I would still, I think I would still say like the in, being able to fully manage in season would probably be the better way to go. But I'm I'm not at all set on that. That's a really good one. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think for me, despite despite drafting probably being my weakest point, and hopefully I'll be turning that around next year, 
Um, but like the last time I had a good draft, I think was 2019, which is when I had what you called my most talented team. So um, despite having less than ideal draft skills, at least so far in the league, I, I think I would rather draft my team. Um, I think that's just kind of my disposition is I, I like to, I like to trust my draft, which again has not paid off well because I haven't drafted well, but I don't know. That's just how I am as a manager as I, I prefer to trust my guys and, you know, maybe make a few trades if I really think it's going to, going to improve my team. Um, and, you know, play waivers, but I mean, in this scenario, I, I think I would rather trust my guys, trust, trust the people that I chose at the beginning of the year. And hopefully, hopefully next year that becomes a legitimate strategy for me, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's tough. Cause not being able to add anyone all year, unless you're replacing someone who got hurt. Ugh. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to change my answer because if I can still, so I'm not allowed to add. Oh, never mind. I misunderstood you. I was, I thought you meant so at the end of waivers after everyone has picked up who they want. Like I would get the scraps. But you would you would get if that would be what it is. You would get scraps in order to replace only in order to replace uh, injured players. Okay, so I'm not allowed to drop any. So I like I, my, I guess to tell you where my head was at with that. I was thinking like, okay, so if I do that, maybe I can be the guy who's super proactive about things. And I, I normally wouldn't do this, but take like, take a whole lot of, of future shots, like add a bunch of prospects, add some prospects that might get called up like three weeks down the road or something. Yeah. None of that. The hit. Okay. So that's not, that's not allowed. You're, not, you're only allowed to be smart during the draft, not during the season. Okay. Okay. I'm not changing my answer then. All right. Give me your next. Would you rather? All right. Would you rather? I love this one a lot. (laughs) Would you rather have the top five keepers going into the season, but your first three picks are duds or keep zero players, but your top three picks are all top 15 scorers over the course of the year. Uh, so I think I would rather have the top five keepers because I sort of have experience with this scenario because in 2019, my first three picks were indeed duds. And I <laughs> the championship game because I had good keepers. Who who were your picks that year? I'm curious. Uh, so Chris Sale, that was like kind of the beginning of the end for him when he 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 was the he was my first pick. Um, he, he I'm surprised that I can kind of talk in so much detail about this because this was a long time ago, but uh, I remember everybody was freaked out about his velocity. He was pitching. He was throwing high 90s the year before, and then all of a sudden he comes out and he's throwing like 92, and he's really, really hittable. And for the first couple months, it was like sort of this thing where nobody knew if he was hurt. Nobody really knew what to do with him, and he started turning it on. Like He had a couple good, really good starts where he was he looked like Chris Sale again, and then he got hurt and he was done for the rest of the year. My second round pick was Noah Syndergaard. 
Yeah. Wild, wild times. He used to be a guy that we really liked, but he, he never really. Now my idea behind him was um, this is going to sound really bad too, considering how that's worked out, but Mickey, that, I believe that was Mickey Calloway's first year as the Mets, as the Mets head coach. And um, before that he was Cleveland's pitching coach. And I had high hopes at that time for what he would be able to do with the Mets pitchers. So I thought that since Callaway was um, at the time, he was considered a, a very good pitching mind. I, I thought he would be able to change Syndergaard's repertoire enough that he, he would take the next step. Because I, I think that back then that was kind of the, the thought process was that Syndergaard just needed a couple of tweaks and he would be very good. We had seen the upside. So that was mm-hmm. That was my thought. That was actually the first year that Syndergaard had been healthy pretty much the whole year. And he was, he was remarkably average. Like he was about like 11 points per game. It was, it was like the epitome of mediocre. He was basically like a worse Jose Barrios Mm -hmm. is really not Jose Barrios this year. Like Jose Barrios in his true form where he's like captain average. Yeah. Was that guy. My third pick, and I'm sure you're going to love this one, Joey Votto, <laughs> uh, who, who was coming off a very good year. And this was kind of, this is the, another funny thing that I, for some reason, remember about this draft. Uh, Nate was picking right before me, and I wanted to pick a first baseman. And one spot ahead of Votto, I had Cody Bellinger. And wow. that was Bellinger's MVP here. And Nate took him, right, took him the pick before me. So I went with I went with Votto instead. This is this is great detail. I'm loving this. Yeah, so I guess like this is just 2000. We've heard so much about my 2019 team because we've knocked out like I just run down the roster at this point because we now know at least four people from that team. Um, but yeah, it didn't like despite those three picks absolutely bombing. Like the fact I had good keepers, so it didn't it, it like. Almost. Bailed you out. Yeah, exactly. Like they, I had, I had Garrett Cole that year. Mm-hmm. He bailed me out big time. Like I, instead of like Chris Sale was okay, but I, I had Garrett Cole who was great. And um, trying to remember who else I had. I, I don't remember if I had Corey Kluber that year or not. I don't think I did. Um, probably Acuna. Yeah, Acuna is another one. I had Acuna. I had um, oh Anthony Rendon was another one. Um, he was outstanding that year. Uh, so yeah, like I had other players that really like they, they were outstanding. And the fact that my first three picks like legitimately bombed, uh, sale was hurt. The rest of the, was hurt in like July. He didn't pitch the rest of the year. Uh, he wasn't really that good to begin with, but center guard, I traded away. And, um, I believe I just cut Joey Votto. Uh, like despite the fact that all, all of them bombed, the fact that I had a great keeper pool totally bailed me out. And then some. And I still ended up having a really good roster. So I, I, for speaking from experience, I would, I would take the good keeper pool all day. Yeah. I I thought this one was going to, was going to be a stumper like the last one, but no, that's you. I I didn't know you had already chosen one of them in real life. So. (laughs) Yeah. Good times. See, sometimes with my teams not being as good, I just got to reminisce about the glory days back when, uh, 
back in the day, you know? Yeah, back in the day when you could be really bad in the draft, but you were fine. Good times. Definitely good times. Of course, the year that I had like an actually good draft for my team, and then I, uh, fantasy is 70% out of your control. Yeah, you just ran into first round Brendan back when that was still a thing. Yeah. All right, so here's my last one. And it's a, it's a spicy one. Would you rather have Spencer Strider's mustache or Dustin May's hair? Uh, I, I personally don't want to have long hair. So I'm going to go with the mustache. It is a good one, though. Like, if, if you're about that long hair life, then, then this might be tough. Because the mustache, the mustache is special. There's a few special mustaches in the league this year, I feel. I'm struggling to the uh, Carpenter's mustache was, was legendary until it broke his foot. Don't forget Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cease also has a mustache. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a good year for the stash. Yeah, uh, um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Strider's mustache. Because here's the thing, like I've I've done the thing that like a lot of guys will do, and they you've got a full beard, and you're like, I want to shave. You shave, but then you just leave the mustache just to see. It's a no for me. But if maybe if I had Strider's mustache. It would work. If I had the ability to grow Strider's mustache, I I would have a mustache just regularly. For sure. So I, I would also go with the mustache. As a fun fact, as someone who formerly had long hair, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, <laughs> makes your neck itchy. It's just like, why would people go through that? Don't know. Don't know. All right, so Jerwin, I lost count. Do you have another one? No, that was my last one. So okay, we, so we made we, it through the segment. We made it through the segment. Look at us. Look at what us. A baller. What a baller segment, if I don't say so myself. All right, so that takes us to um, – that was fantasy. Would you rather? That takes us to our matchup preview. Um, I'll just go ahead because I think I spoiled this. Uh, earlier my thing to watch for um will sam leaving scherzer in his lineup actually cost him the matchup uh and i i don't like being so harsh about it but like will that move actually cost him the win is what i would like to see um i hope not but it was definitely very risky and i'm very curious to see if he would have won had he not done that, uh, Jerwin, what is your thing to watch for? Uh, similar vein, my thing will be watching injuries, both um, watching guys coming back from injuries. I know McClanahan and Verlander are due back, but also just watching to see if any more, uh, any more guys, any more flies uh, start dropping uh, in the in the back half of the semifinals and, and set up for an interesting finale to the season. All right. So now that takes us to 
what was formerly known as matchup predictions now is known as the comeback-o-meter, everyone's favorite. And I took these scores as of earlier today, um, so that's where we see the deficits. I think there's been some games that have been happening, so these will not be uh, – I don't want to say they won't be live, but they're going to be a little different um, when we listen to this, obviously. So as of this morning, these were the deficits. So the, that is what we will be doing on the uh, – that's where we will be giving our numbers on the comeback meter And just to recall, the the – I guess like zero and one that side, that means that they have no shot. They should just surrender and wait and concede and uh, stop wasting everybody's time. Basically this, this, the matchup is over. There is no chance at a comeback. Whereas 10, they should arguably be the favorite to win. Um, the comeback is assured. So We'll start with Sam's team. Now, weak pullout hitter. He changed the name again. That's uh, definitely a comeback move there. He is down. He was down 29.1 coming into today. What number would you give him on the comeback meter? Uh, I think I'll give him a five. I think with the. Uh... Like the the deficit being close enough to allow for realistically a comeback, uh, it's it's higher. But I think with the amount of injuries that Sam's dealing with, it's it's looking rough. But I mean, as I said, seventy percent out of your control. So um, a lot can still happen in a week, and uh, we'll we'll see how it plays out. But Definitely, definitely not as high as I was on your team, though you did not complete the comeback last time around. Yeah, I think I would go a little lower here. I'd probably go with maybe a four. Um, one thing that's interesting is he did he started Scherzer last week, but Verlander right now is projected to come off the IL um, and start next weekend against the Athletics, and he did not start Verlander. Instead, opted to start. One of those pitchers that I don't like, Nick Pavetta, I think probably falls into the bucket of like, you know, he and Matt Manning are the same, I guess. <laughs> That's what I should say. Well, only able to start Pavetta because Pavetta was on waiver assistant and, and, and you generally don't want the waiver guys this time of year. So I'd go a little lower. Let's go with the next matchup. Nate is down 133.2 points. Um, what is the number that you give Nate on the comeback ometer? Uh, I think I think I gave Courtney a two last week. Maybe it was a three, but I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Nate a two this week. The deficit is even is even bigger than Courtney's one was with. Uh, with even fewer days than when we talked about Courtney's deficit. Um, I just, I just think Nate's team is a little bit more likely than Courtney's was. Cause I think Courtney was still missing Zach Wheeler for, for the second week. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, yeah, Nate's again, wasn't, isn't having a, a bad week. Didn't have a bad week last week and uh, is uh, on the healthier side of the final four teams. So 
the deficit's ginormous. I don't think it's going to happen, but it uh, he's still got a good team, so you got to leave the door open, I guess. Yeah, you were you were right about um, her not having Wheeler. Basically, what happened was uh, Wheeler and Harper swapped healthy elbows. Mm. So they just switched places in the lineup as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would also give Nate like a two. Like you, like you said, you have to leave the door open. I know that he has a ton of starts this week. Um, so, you know, like anything can happen when you have 13 starts if they all pop off. Like you're, you're good. You're probably going to at least cut into the lead a good amount. But yeah, that 133 is a lot to, to come back from. Um, I don't recall. I can't see this now because ESPN. Uh, ESPN deleted our league, the jerks. Um, so I could go back and look to see if we ever have had a, a comeback from this deficit. But to my knowledge, I don't think anyone has ever come back from over 100 points down. And uh, yeah, this would that would be pretty tough to do. It's going to be even more tough to come back from 133 points. But I mean, Nate's team was a favorite for a reason. I think he's at least got it in him, and if everything breaks right. But this kind of feels like um, this kind of feels like in Avengers: Infinity War when when Doctor Strange is looking into the future at all the possible outcomes, and like Nate's going to ask him how many time, how many, how many did I win? And Doctor Strange says one. I kind of feel like it's that. <laughs> it's like the, yeah. it goes right. Like that's the one that he won. Um, I mean yeah. to. <laughs> To not rain too hard on Nate this episode, I think he does have a pretty decent keeper pool still next year. So of the of the teams that like sold out for a championship, I think he's probably in the best position. So that it's it's uh maybe you gotta just do some time travel a little bit for Nate uh Endry's endgame. Yeah, you got to do the time heist. I don't know how that would really help matters, but they might. You just got to go back and pick up Prime Kershaw is all. Yeah, drop Prime Kershaw into today's environment, and then you'll you'll be able, you'll have a leg up on everybody. Everybody else's pitching staff. They they won't even know what happened. Yeah. All right, so that was our comeback ometer fan favorite segment. Uh, everybody loves it. So now we'll go on to our league history fact. And I don't think I've ever spoken about this one, but this is still kind of interesting. Uh, Sparps are king. Uh, This year, three out of the top four relief pitchers are Sparps. And really, this isn't anything new. This kind of continues what we've seen every year. So since we started, 2019 is the only year where there has not been at least one Sparp in the top four relief pitchers of that year. And the reason that I say one you could say, well, wait, there's three other ones. Normally, the Sparks are guys that we don't draft very highly. So when I was looking in the in the document, I'm thinking, like, in 2018, Luis Severino, um, he was not drafted. That's, this was before he was good. That was his first year he was good. Um, this year, Spencer Strider, uh, Martin Perez was just picked up off waivers. Guys like that um, 
normally when I'm looking at this, it looks to me like the top relievers are generally the guys that we draft really highly. The top true relievers are the guys that we draft really highly, but right up, right up there with them are these sparks that either go undrafted or are just drafted extremely late. So I guess, I guess I'm bringing this up that, to say that uh, sparks, I think still remain the biggest I guess, value advantage in our league. And normally the good ones kind of come out of nowhere and are acquired very cheaply. So that was our league history fact. I don't know, Jerwin, if you have any thoughts on, on Sparks. Um, any thoughts on, the, on this, this banger of a league history fact that I have given this week? It's, it's a phenomenally juicy uh, league history fact. I mean, I think we all knew this deep down that like Sparps, like you really want to get a Sparp, but I'd be interested. I don't know. I feel like people take a lot of pot shots at Sparps because they know if they, if you hit on one, it's going to be a great boon to your team. But like a lot of Sparps are also just bad pitchers, so it, it, it's it's a it's a double edged sword. I think certainly when you get the the better Sparps, your team has an advantage for most of the season, if not all season. But if you just draft all Sparps for some reason, the likelihood that you're going to have for legit sparps is very low. Yeah, it's definitely a delicate balance. You know who you know who's a spark? Uh, Luis Sessa, who is not in the Nuts starting lineup this week, despite. Yeah. Um, but that was our league history fact. Uh, that brings us to news and notes, um, and we're going to start with a big one. So. We're going to start with the biggest news here. MLB implemented several rule changes, which will come into effect in the 2023 season. Uh, The biggest changes are the elimination of the shift and a new 15-second pitch clock. Um, So I'm just going to give – I'm going to keep this, like, very open-ended. I'm not really going to ask just a point-blank question about either one. I just kind of want you to give your thoughts on – how you kind of expect this to impact fantasy baseball for us next year and to what extent this will impact us. So I'm asking about um, both the, the, both the shift being gone and the new pitch clock. So I think it'll have a similar effect. Both changes I think will have a similar effect to how the dead and ball this year kind of affected things where it, you're not going to see a huge change in production one way or another across the board, but for individual players, you will see significant but largely unpredictable impacts. Um, and to to go against what I just said about unpredictable. I think for the 15 second pitch clock, you and I and Jordan, I think talked a little bit about this. There are guys like Kenley Jansen who takes 
25 seconds between pitches for for a guy like that for a closer who i'm sure relies a lot on routine as i'm sure plenty of baseball players do um but for him to have his routine cut down from 25 seconds to 15 it's not guaranteed that that's gonna have an impact but i would not be surprised if that had a significant impact um likewise for the shift like most guys are just gonna keep hitting the way they normally do maybe every once in a while they'll get they'll get a a lucky break and oh i gotta hit where the shift might have cut me off before but there are those players every once in a while that are just extreme pole hitters. Uh, I think a, a good example is probably Joey Gallo. Um, I, I saw like a random YouTube short. I think that was um, John Boy talking about like Joey Gallo knows that they're going to get rid of the shift next year. So he just hasn't made an adjustment to his swing this season at all. He just keeps hitting, hitting it directly into the shift. But he showed just like a bunch of clips of Joey Gallo absolutely roping a ball right to the second baseman standing in shallow, uh, what would that be, right field. So it's um, a player here or there, I think, is going to see a significant boost. But again, Joey Gallo could still be really bad. Kenley Jansen could still be really good with these changes. So. I think you're going to see a few players like that, like this year, guys like um, like pitch to contact pitchers like Merrill Kelly and Miles Michaelis, I think benefited a lot from the dead and ball. It was a really minor change over the over the span of all of baseball, but that change brought them into the good pitcher range. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be small broadly, but significant in in some places. Will be interesting to watch either way. Yeah, so for the pitch, um, for the pitch clock, uh, I know that Savant does not have, well, I, I believe that they have it, they have a timer equivalent. Um, and it's Basically, they, they measured tempo, which is the time that between pitches from when the pitch left the pitcher's hand and the time he gets back. Um, or no, that, no, sorry. That's what the pitch clock is going to, is going to measure. From the time the pitch exits the pitcher's hand to the time he gets it back. Tempo measures, which is what Savant measures, is the time. Um, it's just the time between pitches. So the pitch clock, the pitch clock starts. Um, the pitch clock will start, you know, when he releases that when he, it's like start a delivery to return throw. Um, so that's what the savant actually takes into account. Something I saw, I found kind of interesting though, is I mean, basically, I, I guess I should elaborate. That's just saying that these times, like when you see. Oh no, Kenley Jansen takes 26 seconds in between. The pitch clock doesn't measure all of that. So 
despite him taking 26 seconds, it's not, he's not actually going to be penalized for it. Like that's, he's not taking 11 seconds over the pitch clock. Fair enough. Then. But something I found interesting is that when I was looking at, I was just looking at the tempo for the pitch tempo for guys, the, the starters, it, it looks like there's not a single starting pitcher in the top 45. Uh, the top 45 slowest to the, I guess, like slowest tempo pitchers. Um, the slowest are the tie between Tyler McGill and Shohei Otani at 21.4 seconds. I would assume that's still like pushing it with the 15 second clock. And that's probably on that. That's probably more on average. Um, but I don't know that that's going to have like that big of an effect. But I, I guess like me looking at this, I was I was more thinking like, wow, I have no wonder like the later innings take forever. It's because all these relievers take so long to pitch. Like there's it, done, the top 45 is all relief pitchers. And even beyond that, there's very few starters that are in the top 75. Um, it's like all relievers, which I just, I just thought that was interesting. It kind of is an aside, but I'm more interested to see the shift because I think that'll have a bigger impact because now you're going to have guys. I, I think that you need to look at a player's spray chart and see, well, you know, like a guy like Joey, Joey Gallo, he, he's a big pool hitter. He's like the shift basically has ruined him. Well, they can't do that anymore. Um, and they've basically been doing that to Gallo his entire career. So how do we evaluate him? And, and there's better hitters than, than Gallo that get shifted. Um, I mean, you look at any left-handed hitter and they're basically getting shifted now. But I, I think that I think that's going to be what's interesting is you'll see more guys who are just dead pool hitters. I think you'll see see them really rise. I don't this is I don't think this is going to hurt any any hitters. Um and I think that the impact will be so spread out among pitchers that it's not really going to to hurt any of them. I guess this is kind of like the opposite of the rising tide lifts all lifts all boats. Um, like I think that the impact will be so spread amongst everybody that it's not really going to hurt anyone in particular. Yeah. Um Maybe more like the pitch to contact guys. We'll we'll see more of the brunt of it, but like I don't think it's going to ruin any of them because um, those guys, pitch to contact hitter who who gives up a lot of hard contact. Like you're generally probably not that good to begin with, and we probably don't care about you from a fantasy perspective. So I guess that's I, I don't think that the, I think the guys will get hurt worse worst by it are guys that we wouldn't care about anyways. Yeah. Um, so I. I don't care about it as much from a pitching perspective, but it, it's definitely interesting from a hitter perspective. I, I think that it'll, it will certainly have an impact and we will, we will definitely have to take that into account. Um, I'm wondering like how many sleepers we're going to see just across the fantasy baseball industry where the reason that, that we're projecting a breakout for them is that basically they hit everything into the shift and now the shift's not there. So I, I'd be curious. I'm going to be curious to see how many guys we see that uh, I guess like fit that mold where they they hit the ball into the shift. The shift's not there anymore. So we think that they're going to be a breakout. 
Yeah. Not not to not to jump ahead of you and answer the next question, but to jump ahead of you and answer the next question. My my offseason analysis is going to be wait for one of the many articles that are going to be written here are the guys you target because the shift is gone and just read that and move them up a bit in my rankings like someone else is for sure going to do the work for me on this one oh yeah this will be a big topic um yeah and there's you're you're absolutely right there's no reason at all to do any of this research yourself Mm -hmm. uh, it'll definitely be done many times over over the offseason i wouldn't really I wouldn't really sweat it. That said, Joey Gallo, MVP candidate. Heard it here first. Calling a shot. Joey Botto, MVP. Joey Gallo. Well, I already said Joey. Wait, did you say Joey Votto or Joey Gallo? Did I say Joey Votto? Joey Gallo is what I I I meant. uh, Maybe you said Joey. Maybe you said... uh, I mean, I know I said Joey. I'm confused because like one of my would you rathers was going, I, I changed it at the last minute, but it was going to be Joey Votto or Joey Gallo. But I, I, I ditched that one for a better one. But I, I think that's why I'm confused. But I mean, they're, they're also both Joey and their last names ended in O. It's, it's, it's a tough time. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say I appreciated that you weren't like leaving me to die on the Die alone on the Joey Votto MVP island, I guess. We'll we'll get to that. You know. <laughs> All right. So going on to our next question. Um, now this one's going to have to be a little. We're going to have to change this up a little bit because uh, these are both the lineups have locked um, for for both these guys. And uh, Sam sat Verlander, so that's we're not. You know, we're not going to be able to really analyze that very well. Um, and also, Nick sat McClanahan. Um, Interesting. But basically, I was going to, the question was going to be, what should they do with them? Now that they've made their decisions, they've both decided to sit them. McClanahan was in line to start, like, I think he still is in line to start versus Toronto on Thursday. And Verlander is in line to start against the Athletics on Saturday. Um, I guess I, I was going to ask how should Nick and Sam handle this, but since they both sat them, did they handle this the right way? What would you have done in their position? Uh, I think I'm starting Verlander for sure. Being down after week one in the semis, you got to take a shot with your best guy. And like you said, he, he started Pavetta instead. Not a fan of that decision. Um, but I, I think even if you're just like starting another guy that you just like a bench pitcher that you've had all year, who's just been like a, a depth guy, I, I think I'd rather start Verlander and, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't have a great start his first time back and you lose, but you're already down. So you got to take the, sh- the upside shot on, on Verlander, I think. McClanahan, I think, is a little bit more understandable since he's playing Toronto and a little more understandable since Nick is already leading. Uh, I didn't see who he's starting instead. Probably Blake Snell is in there somewhere. But yeah, I mean, I guess it would be you could say Blake Snell or no, it's probably more likely it's Arkady. Um, Katie, yeah, bad start last week, but he does get the athletics this week. Yeah, I think it's more understandable, but I think 
in the playoffs, I'm sticking with my guys. And McClanahan's been outstanding all year. Yeah, he's coming off of injury. Yeah, he's had like the innings concerns uh, coming down the stretch here. And yes, it's the Rays. And yes, it's Toronto. Like, again, that's why it's that's why I think it's understandable. But I think I personally would have would have gone the other way. And I could see myself being wrong in that scenario, but I, I think I trust trust my ace rather than than letting him sit. Yeah, definitely a tough call. I mean, I think um, getting the upside with Verlander, and again, I think this is just from me. I'm still I'm still uh, suffering from PTSD with Matt Manning. I guess I I I had my fill of. Uh, two-star bench pitchers that, who are bad. And um, Pavetta is definitely one of them. So I, I, I'm stronger in my conviction now not to start these guys in the playoffs than ever before. So I'm, I'm not a fan of that decision. I think I would have, if Verlander was going to start, I think I would have turned to him um, at this point. But McClanahan, for the reasons that, that you said before, when you just when you were listing the reasons not to start him, I think, I think that was a little more excusable because um, Urquidy is not quite in that bucket where he, I think he's a step. He's at least one step above. Like I would feel okay if I had to start Urquidy. He's got a he, he's that depth guy that you just have all year in case you need him. And I mean, he's I think he's been on waivers and stuff before, but he's not. He's at least sat on a bench or started for stretches of the year. Unlike, you know, Pavetta who had a hot streak and then fell off. Like we all expected and stayed on waivers until now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, So let's move on to the Baltimore Orioles who called up top prospect Gunnar Henderson last week. Sam added and started him. Um, Unfortunately, it did not work out so well. And he only scored 8.6 points, but despite the down week, he's still hitting a very respectable 293, 356, 439, albeit that's only 12 games. But turning our focus towards next year, since Sam isn't starting him this week, uh, is Henderson someone you're excited about going forward? Uh, I think he's someone I will want to take a look into. Admittedly, I did not do the due diligence of like taking a peek under the hood for for how he's done so far, seeing like plate discipline numbers, expected stats, that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, he's had a lot of pedigree coming in and uh, he, he was a name that we drafted last year in our, our dynasty league for the nuts and had never heard of him. And then he starts tearing it up in, in the minor leagues and is probably our top, top prospect for the nuts. But um, definitely someone I'm going to take a look at. And depending on further analysis, I, I might be excited about Henderson. Yeah, I mean, he's for sure our top prospect, but for sure. But just to be fair, our farm system, like our, our roster is ancient. Our farm system is basically non-existent. So he's pretty much the only name that I know. And I didn't know him at first. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that he is our farm system at this point. Uh, yes. So, but anyways, I I am excited about him 
because I mean he his play discipline has been pretty good, and I think we have to keep in mind he is very young, especially for he he climbed the the prospect ladder very quickly. Mm-hmm. He was one of the biggest risers on prospect lists this year, um, and he's the fact that he's already in the majors. I, I don't even know that he's twenty one yet is remarkable. Um, and really he, he's not, he's, he's done pretty well so far in only 12 games. And, but I think what excites me the most is it seems like the Orioles are willing to play him at multiple positions. So I'm looking kind of at the, I guess like the bigger picture in the sense that, Oh, this could be a guy that could be pretty good for us. Um, I'm not saying us is not some mean us as the fantasy baseball community. And he could be multiple. He could be multi-position eligible. So, like I, I love those types of guys. They're very convenient. Like I'm thinking, you know, like DJ LeMahieu, uh, Jake Cronenworth, um, Jeff McNeil. Once upon a time, but those guys are great to just have around because, especially when they're when they're good. Like we remember peak DJ LeMahieu a couple years ago was was a terrific fantasy baseball asset because you put him anywhere in the infield on your, on your roster and you had an elite player there. So the, the flexibility that, that provides you is, is very, very valuable. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that Henderson can kind of be that guy, not in the sense that he has the same profile as Mayhew because he doesn't, but that he can be the guy that, um, you know, is that, is that potentially elite contributor who we could have at multiple positions. And that that's the part, with Henderson that I think excites me the most. Um, so I guess where would you rank him among other recently promoted prospects? Yeah, I haven't done a ton of looking, as I said, into him or some of the, the other very recent names. Um, but I would, he's, he would be in, for me right now, in the tier of players that are above prospects who've been called up and have done bad like riley green for example uh but below guys who have been called up and have done well for a longer stretch of time like his teammate adley watchman so somewhere in that mid-range all right that is very fair um let's move on to the guy on the other end of the age spectrum, Albert Pujols, hit home run number 697 on Sunday, passing A-Rod, moving into fourth place all time. He is three away from 700. Simple quote or simple question here. Will he get there? Absolutely. Got to believe. I mean, he uh, beat Kyle Schwarber in the home run derby. Anything can happen. Do you believe the conspiracy that Schwarber threw the round? If he did, he did the right thing because Pujols is a legend. If he didn't, he did the right thing because you shouldn't throw competitions even if it's just the home run derby and just because someone's old. But I don't believe it because Pujols is Pujols. I also, I feel like I started, I started doing fantasy baseball like after Pujols' prime. So I don't really appreciate how great he was, but from things I've heard from people who do know how great he was, man, was it great. So you can actually look on 
Fantrax, and I'll I'll try to pull it up very quickly because Fantrax has um, they have like historical numbers. They they will apply our league scoring to someone's career, even though we didn't actually start on the site uh, until real late. So just a couple totals for you. Um, in 2009, Pujols had 735 total points for an average of 4.6 points per game. Good God. His high, um, 2009. So he also has two years above 640 points, and they, those were both over four points a game. Uh, he has another three years of over 500 points. Um, those are all 3.3 points per game or better. Really, uh, since 2000, from like 2007 to 2000, uh, so 2012, he was like the elite, elite fantasy option, or he would have been in our league if it had existed at that point. I mean, even after that, he, I'm looking at it now, 2013, 2.9 points per game. Looks like he didn't play a lot in 2013, probably entries and stuff. But then after that, went on another streak of like three points per game every year until 2016. And yeah, wow, that's that's special. Yeah, just to give a gauge, I guess, um, we, Vlad Guerrero was the top scoring uh, well, let's not even go with Vlad Guerrero. Let's go even more, even more recent than than Guerrero. Let's look at this year, where our top scorer is Aaron Judge. Um, and keep in mind, I well, Aaron Judge right now is at five hundred fifty eight point one points per game, or an average of four point zero four points per game. Uh, five hundred fifty eight points total, four point zero four points per game. It's been a long episode. Um, but yeah, Pujols is just like, that should tell you how otherworldly Pujols is just in the context of like our top guy versus him at his peak. Uh, Pujols was, was something else. Yeah, that's wild. All right, moving on. Lucas Giolito admitted to not being right since getting hurt all the way back on opening day. It was forever ago. Uh, Giolito had a quote, yeah, it sucks. Uh, I was telling you guys before the season I put on weight and I wanted to be very stable and strong, and then I got hurt on opening day. Things after that weren't really right all year. I feel a little bit stronger, a little bit healthier just in general, and I feel like I let go of some of the frustration. A little bit too much experimenting coming into the season and early on. Uh, I guess just to, from my perspective, I was excited. I was more excited about Giolito coming into the year. Um, originally, I, I thought he was kind of a late riser for me. Originally, I thought that he was kind of like premium Jose Barrios, which he was for basically since the time he was good. Um, but towards in spring training, uh, he was flashing increased velocity, and there were some reports that he had uh, like put on some more muscle and was made, having stuff play up. So I was hopeful that that was what would help him reach a second year. turns out it did not at all. Um, but it sounds like he's saying that and he, he got hurt right, right away. Um, it sounds like he's saying that he got healthy all year. 
I guess like I, I know this isn't on the itinerary, but do we buy this as an excuse, or is that what this is? Uh, buying it as an excuse, I don't know. The quote sounds like it, he at least believes that. I mean, whether or not it can be fixed, I think remains to be seen. I don't know that I buy that necessarily, but I mean, judging by what he's what he's said, um, it, it seems to me that a a lower performance because of injury makes sense to me. I, I, I think I buy that as the underlying reason for just how bad it's been. Like it hasn't been this bad since like since he was bad. <laughs> yeah, now for the really tough one, which is how do we value Giolito going into next season after this total disaster of a season? Um, based off of this quote alone, I think obviously we value him a lot lower than we have over the past few years. Uh, I think he's, he's shown the floor again, which is not something you want to see with a guy with his track record. And, you know, maybe he doesn't, maybe this is his, his new norm. Um, but I, I think based on what he said, I, I think I'm a little bit more encouraged after hearing this than I was before hearing this, knowing that there is a plausible reason for like plausible reason outside more or less outside of his control uh, with injury that's been hurting him. And I think the the part two where he mentions a little too much experimenting uh, in the season uh, before the season and early in the season. Um, I think that is also a legit thing. Kind of how we've talked about Cody Bellinger doing a little too much tweaking and messing stuff up. Uh, I'm encouraged that he's talking about it as a problem and, it the old adage you have to admit you have a problem before you can fix it so um i have hope at least that he can fix it if he comes back healthier next year um and if he instead of doing too much experimenting maybe getting back to what it was that he was doing so well the the previous couple of years um he can he can do it. And I mean, he's, he's already shown that he can make adjustments and become good. Uh, so that makes me think that he can, you know, regress a lot and then make adjustments again and become good again, again, not guaranteed. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I don't even know if he'll be like a top five rounder next season. Um, but it, there's at, at least hope in my eyes that he could turn it around. All right, going to our last bit of news, and this is a big one. Joey Vada has been dealing with pain all over his body. Vado said he had trouble sleeping since either late June or early July. 
He missed seven games in early July with back issues and returned July 12th in New York. Uh, even then, after time off, he ran a sprint and his left arm, elbow, and his hand hurt. A quote from Votto, the whole thing was jacked up. Then I took a swing in the game, and it was, this is the first game back after taking a week off. You'd think that you'd feel really well. Before that trip, the time off, it was just the same thing. It was always just something. It inhibited my ability to recover, and I noticed it with everything. If I ran, real pain. Swinging, pain. It ended up being a problem in my hand, too. The hand was a major issue for the last six weeks or so. You deal with these things, and you, and you just try to gut it out and finish it up. I tried to get the job done, and I wasn't able to do that. Obviously, it sounds like Joey Votto, the entire season, was physically compromised, being that he was dealing with pain all over his body. So I guess if his whole body wasn't in such pain, would he have hit 20 home runs? It seems like a distinct possibility. We'll take it a step farther and keep in mind, his body was in a lot of pain. Would he have hit 20 more home runs? Absolutely not. Don't be ridiculous. I'm sorry. Just to reiterate, that's 20 home runs and then another 20 home runs. That is correct. And that seems like that could have been possible had he not been dealing with such all over his body. I mean, the man said it inhibited his ability to sleep. Okay, so what I'm hearing is I've got Joey Gallo MVP candidate. Do you have Joey Votto MVP candidate next season? No, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I do think we should maybe we should make a uh, make some sort of bet though of who has the better season next year, Joey Votto or Joey Gallo, <laughs> and we attach some stakes to this. I'll take I'll take my boy Joey Gallo. Okay, we'll we'll figure this out, and this will be our this will be our uh, this will be a little bet between us, I guess. Um, okay. To see if Joey Votto can, if, if he is not, I'm telling you, if he's not dealing with pain all over his body, he could have been an MVP candidate. For sure, for sure. More it's more details, first. more details to come. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I guess the first step to this would be determining, like, will Joey Votto actually play next year? Which, I mean, he's like 38, so <laughs> that, it's, we'll just see that first. 38 and literally everything hurts. There's, I think we can say question marks here. Oh, what could go wrong? <laughs> all right, that's all for us this week. We will be back next week um that's right we will not be doing a midweek episode we will start the championship week from the beginning and then after that we have one final episode maybe with our league champion on uh and that will be about what like three weeks from now ish Mm -hmm. um we will be back then uh we will see if we have any guests on next week i'm not sure if we will or not but we are going to try to have the league champion on for our last podcast episode of the year. Only two left on uh, this season. Jerwin, any final thoughts before we close out? Uh, man, I, we shared a lot of thoughts on this episode. I, I think we can, 
let the people have what they got and on to the next. All right. I do not have anything either. So for Jerowin, I am Jake Deemer. Thanks for listening.